He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to your least favorite day of the week. I'm Anthony Irwin. (laughs) (laughs) Special introduction for this one, because I'm recording with Adam Mattis again for the first time here on the uh, Anthony Irwin Show. And now for the first time in in quite some time, we used to record Locked on NBA on a weekly basis, and then that ended. Uh, And so so I wanted to talk to Adam again. And so here we are. So, Adam, how are you doing, bud? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm excited to be talking to you again. Get those old feelings back. <laughs> we were we were talking before the show about like whether we can pick back up chemistry wise, and uh, and uh, you know we'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. see. I've still um, got it. I don't know if you still got it, but we'll see. <laughs> I do not. I do. I I most definitely do not. Um. So I want to start here because usually this is the Lakers show, but there isn't much Lakers stuff going on. Uh, if you want more Lakers hyper-focused stuff, you can check out the Lakers Lowdown, where I'll talk about uh, some of the changes being made to the training staff, Jason Kidd continuing to be uh, linked to head coaching gigs and all of that. Uh, but for this one, we're just going to wander around the NBA playoffs as they currently Imagine exist. Imagine shutting off this great show to talk about exciting things, to go listen to a Lakers podcast about Jason Kidd. Wow. <laughs> but sure, get your caveat in there. Go over there. If that's if that's what you're looking for, people, go ahead and check that one out. <laughs> Fast forward this one. Hey, man, I just try to offer a little bit of everything for everybody. You know, and <laughs> okay. like the three people who were super focused, Jason Kidd, his agent, and his mom. Like, it's, it's, it's going to be the people who are going to listen to Lakers Lowdown today. Um, all right. But, yeah, I wanted to start. So the conversation coming out of the games yesterday uh mostly has been focused on Ben Simmons and yeah. uh the way that he played the way that he didn't shoot uh he just his brain appeared to break over the course of that series and now especially after the 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 quotes that came out of the game whether it was from Doc Rivers or Joel Embiid Doc Rivers said he's not sure you can win a championship with Ben yeah, Simmons cold cold yeah. And then, and then Joel Embiid threw shade at Ben Simmons' inability to make free throws. Can we and just so, clarify? I saw some people be like, hey, the whole quote was important. No, it's not, actually. Go watch the quote. He yeah. said exactly what he said, and yeah. it was very clear that he was he was making a point there. But Yeah. I I, I mean, it, it's it's right after their season ends. It At one point, looked like a very promising season. Uh, it was very clearly – the, the onus on, on that series not going the way that they wanted. Uh, even Ben Simmons would say that he was, I think, the, the biggest problem with how things went for, for Philly. And so, of course, you had, some, you had some emotional quotes after the game. But the kinds of quotes that I think it's really difficult to bring Ben Simmons back into that locker room. And then uh, it's, it's a double-edged sword here because you're also – dealing blows to his trade value so now i'm i'm kind of curious like you you we both root for teams that i think could potentially facilitate the way that ben simmons kind of approaches basketball where uh Jokic spaces the floor and and denver has really focused on bringing in shooting and i think anthony davis and lebron james can make just about anybody work uh but if, i don't think they can make ben simmons work well I'm, I'm, i don't I'm think to talk about that I don't but, think but, a- would, would you 
would you, a Nuggets fan, be okay with the Nuggets trading for Ben Simmons at this point, given where we his trade value is in the basement? Like to a certain extent, <laughs> it's just assets, asset uh, allocation or or, or uh, acquisition because this he's probably going to go for way below dollar value. I think that the cost for Denver would probably be too high. And I know that sounds silly because I, I actually really like Ben Simmons. I think he's underrated and like he's now his, his stock is at an all time low, which is usually when you should buy a player, but he is on that max deal. And to make that work, you are, I mean, look, you're, you just have to include a Michael Porter. I don't, I don't see if the deal was somehow Aaron Gordon and pieces or Aaron Gordon mm-hmm. and draft capital or something like that, then by all means, but that wouldn't, that's not a trade Philly would want. You would have to have it. It would have to be centered around a Michael Porter for Ben Simmons. And I just don't know that that works for Denver. Um, as much as I do think it would be intriguing to see Jamal Murray and Jokic with a Ben Simmons, he would help them a lot. I having those three guys all on max contracts means the rest of your roster is going to be pretty thin. And unfortunately I don't see that happening. And then more importantly, you know, I don't know if Ben Simmons, I'm curious where Ben Simmons needs to go. Denver is in win now mode. Ben Simmons looks like he needs a one year, like to get right reset. Or reset. So I feel yeah, like wherever he goes, like Fultz when he got out of Philly. Yeah, he, he might need to go to a, a Sacramento or an Orlando or some team that doesn't have championship aspirations in 2022 to mm. say like, oh, just one year, get get your confidence back, get resettled, and and then we'll go from there. So. Um, my answer for specifically with Denver would be no. You ready for my uh, Lakers exceptionalism take? Let's hear it. It's well, like it wasn't that Ben Simmons somehow fits with Anthony Davis and LeBron. So let's hear what. Well, it is. well, I mean, you got to listen to the whole take. Oh, jeez. So this is Lakers exceptionalism. This is me being a Lakers homer to the nth degree, and I I'm like 49 percent no, probably like 65 percent, not really believing what I'm about to say, but okay. Ben Simmons has been tanking his trade value all along to get to the <laughs> Lakers and, and then, uh, you know, shoot three pointers as soon as he gets to the Lakers. Oh man. He's going to Blake Griffin, everybody. <laughs> the, the, the clutch, the clutch dynamic is real, <laughs> man. Well, that's Rich Paul told what... him all along. Don't shoot threes ever. Yeah. Don't you, don't you ever shoot them? Well, no. Uh, so this is definitely not true. I, I do like the take. It's a great Anthony take. Definitely not true. Um, but one thing that is funny about that, there's a couple funny things, though, about the clutch aspect of this, which is Doc Rivers publicly bashing Ben Simmons, whether you want to say whatever. Yeah. That, that, you know, like he, he threw a player under the bus. That has repercussions because of the clutch. And like, you know, there could be ripple effects from that just for Philadelphia. And then the same, by the way, goes with Joel Embiid. And my colleague at Locked On Nuggets, Matt Moore, brought this up, and I thought it was actually a great point. Jokic is a popular guy amongst the Lakers. Yeah, very – oh, they're going to really hate this take too. But but I actually think he's he's right about this one. Jokic against the Phoenix Suns averaged 30, 10, and 5 or something like that. The only player on the Nuggets that could do anything in that series – after the, the series was over, he apologized to all of his teammates that he didn't do enough to get them closer. Joel Embiid, after the series, who, by the way, had eight turnovers in back-to-back decisive games and the biggest turnover of the game when it was still in doubt and they needed a bucket from him and he gets a turnover, not just a turnover, but a live ball, fast break, wide open dunk turnover that basically sealed their fate. After the game, he threw Ben Simmons under the bus. Now, was it Ben Simmons's fault? Primarily, yes. Like, he's easily the scapegoat of the series. But for a player to come out and publicly throw his own teammate out of the bus, to me, it just kind of shined a little bit of light on on, on Joel Embiid there. And mm-hmm. in a way that 
it's not a to me it's not a small thing that he was willing to publicly hang out his teammate out the dry even though we all knew it he didn't even have to do it everybody right. else was doing it for him <laughs> right he was <laughs> the titanic just sank and he was like hey man that captain screwed up <laughs> he screwed up big time man <laughs> As he's rowing away in a lifeboat, he is. The, yeah, <laughs> uh, Joel Embiid was the the guy that was the, grabbed the orphan child have, to be like, I "Hey, a I child, <laughs> I have a child." <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I thought I thought the entire everything to come out of that was was fascinating last night. Not not the least of which this is so. Boston uh, goes out when doc is there, when, when they kind of broke up, when the, when the trade happens, when Ray Allen left, there was weird chemistry between the big three and well, amongst the big three, right? Because everybody started hating Ray Allen. And then there was weird chemistry between the big right. three and Rajon Rondo. And then right. uh, doc rivers goes to the Clippers. And there was always really weird energy about, about that situation, especially at the end. And then now he goes to Philly and this is now the third stop, third consecutive stop, by the way, in which there's bad chemistry. Like, this isn't even weird. This is just bad. Bad chemistry here uh, between Doc Rivers and, and or on a Doc Rivers team. And I'm kind of curious, like, not to blame Doc Rivers, period, but when do we start noting the trend? When do we start saying, like, hey, uh, it's kind of weird that all of these situations seem to seriously blow up in everybody's faces around Doc Rivers? I, I mean, look, you could point to that trend. And I think the real, to me, there might be a stretch there because we don't, you don't always know the locker room dynamics no. and the Clippers, even this year, early on in the playoffs, look like the same team as last year. And yeah. I think there might even be a little bit of irony to the fact that they've looked their best since Kawhi look, went down. You, yeah. you know, you could argue. Um, but so there's all, all these other factors that play in it. But I think the real, it, the real damning thing for Doc Rivers is that he is now a coach that has blown multiple 3-1 leads. He has blown mm -hmm. multiple games at home, game sevens at home. He does have now a history of looking bad as series have gone on. I mean, he's a guy that has been favored in a lot of these. So to me, that is more of the evidence. The other stuff, you might be right there too. Like, you know, he really earned his name in Boston as this guy that sort of like players coach rallied around, but you're right that it frayed over time. But I think the more damning thing is just that his teams don't look good after about game three. <laughs> just like, enough. This guy, it was dude. He had that really weird. Right before they gave up one of their twenty, I think it was a twenty-six point lead. Right before they gave Oof. it away, there was the uh, the him on the timeout saying, "It's not just about winning this game, but it's about building long-term habits." <laughs> like, <laughs> man, you like if if any Atlanta player heard that, they're gonna go nuts. I also really enjoyed the tweet from Miles Brown after after the game where he said Tupac could come come back against. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. But yeah, I, I the Philly is really interesting, and and like the entire offseason this this year, like the 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 entire league feels like it could potentially be in flux because Kawhi Leonard's going to have a decision to make. Uh, you have everything going on in Dallas. You have everything going on in Philly. Uh, the Lakers are going to retool in some way, shape, or form. Denver has some decisions to make uh, as they try to get ready for at least the beginning of next season without Jamal Murray. So the majority just, of next season, yeah, yeah. And and so like I'm 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 looking at the the, the entire league, and and I had um, Jake Fisher on the show last week, and he he seemed to think, according to the people that he was uh, talking to, that everybody around the league is preparing themselves for yet another super crazy off season. 
And it's fun for us. It's good for us in our industry because it gives us stuff to talk about. But do you think like these crazy off seasons with a ton of player movement, ton of coach movement and all of that is, is good for the NBA? Cause at some point, like you need to start building a foundation upon which like, you know, fans can expect certain players in certain cities as, as something of a consistent thing to, to get ready for in every single season, instead of, everybody watching the NBA playing the who he played for Charles Barkley game <laughs> there. Um, it's twofold. I mean, I think there is like this hit of adrenaline everybody gets when a player changes teams. And I think we're going to get a lot of that, by the way, this year. I mean, yeah, Utah is absolutely. looking at maybe blowing it up. Portland's looking yeah, like blowing it up. Philadelphia is looking like blowing it up. I mean, there's a lot of teams right now. Uh, would you be surprised if Chris Tapp's got moved? I mean, there's some big names that could get moved this off season. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so there is, there's, there's a lot of interesting sort of dynamics at play, but what I'll say is I think you need both paths to be viable. And I think that the thing that kills is that this feeling that all the players want to go to the same, especially when we talk about free agency, want to go to the same spots, trades. Look, teams are always going to be trying to build. There was a great report on the athletic by Ethan Strauss um, about a month ago, maybe two months ago about how the teams with the best local network ratings i mean their local coverage was getting the most eyeballs were all teams that had a lot of continuity because you're a small or mid-market team it's nice when you know everybody on the team it's Mm -hmm. nice when you've watched them go step by step so i think the league needs both you need those shock trades uh you know that those things move the needle but not every team needs to be getting in on the action every single year (laughs) right i this this i mean you didn't even mention we didn't mention the zion stuff where Zion's Ooh. family apparently wants him out of New Orleans, which is a whole this different This has been dynamic. talked about behind the scenes for a long time, by the way. I heard these yeah. rumors over a year ago that Zion was going to try to get out first chance, including perhaps on his rookie scale deal, not oh. even waiting to that second oh, one. Yeah, I mean, and that that to me, the reason I bring up Zion here is a specific example, and I think this is something that you and I really agree on, is even those teams that tank and bottom out for those players for, for whoever it is at the top of the draft that they're trying to tank for uh, those, those teams now being expected to turn things around in less than two seasons. Uh, one of which, by the way, Zion was hurt for, for a good chunk of the year. Uh, the expectation and, and the annoyance from Zion's family at not being contender right now, it almost feels like a cop-out kind of an excuse for, not wanting to call a spade a spade and say, I just wanted out. I didn't want to go to New Orleans in the first place, which to me is a very serious problem for the league. Because if you're a New Orleans uh, Pelicans fan, you have to feel at some point like, wow, Anthony Davis didn't want to be here. Zion, when he even showed up, didn't want to be here. Like, will we ever see a competitive team? And some of it, I think falls on the organization to a certain extent, but, but, at the end of the day, like stars wanting to only be in certain cities and just flat out not showing interest in the city that they're in. That's not great for the league. That's, that's kind of terrifying. If you're, if you're Adam Silver, there's a lot that I think is being discussed right now about how to, you know, different things that are going on between the relationship between media and players, fans and players. And a lot of this is talked about through the lens of like, what's fair to the players. Is it, is it fair this or that? And I think there's a lot of progress to be made with player fan interactions in a way that benefits the players. But I think the flip side of this 
is that the relationship also it the, everybody suffers when the relationship between players and fans gets more and more distant and everybody's solutions to whatever problems there are is to create more distance there and i think that's a we can't throw, in my opinion, the baby out with the bathwater. And this is part of what's happening. Does Zion feel the fan base of New Orleans? Like trying to insulate players from feeling that fan base for the negative aspects of it. But maybe you're also being insulated from the positive aspects of it. And hey, there's people that really put a lot of stock into this. That, you know, there, there's a reason sports are important. And if, if players aren't feeling that connection to their teams, then we get to a real dangerous place where it's really, and I feel like we're already there where players are playing. They don't care what Jersey they're wearing, what it says, what city it's from. They're just playing for their own, you know, it's so isolated. That's a problem. Yeah. They're all, so I think, I, I definitely think there can be a lot. Adam silver has a lot of issues on his plate, I think um, to, to sort of correct the NBA, but, but that's one of them is just, do fans, especially in these smaller markets, still feel connected to their team, or have we completely severed that connection? Yeah. Speaking of Adam Silver, one of the other topics that you and I really have focused on in our time covering the league has been the league really, or the, the, the rule book really kind of morphing into this thing that seems to really help out the smaller players. Like the smaller you are in the NBA, the better whistle you're going to get. And and there's, there's no the seam com- to it, man. We can go ahead and throw the seam part out. By the I, way, I was trying to sound sarcastic, but but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it certainly does. It, it certainly favors the Trey Youngs of the world, the Steph Curry's of the world. Uh, and and you watch the way that you know Trey Young was being guarded in this last series, and everybody is reluctant to go anywhere near three feet of him because he can just launch his body at whatever angle into you and get to the free throw line. And not only obviously score on those free throws, but then throw off rotations and all of those things. Uh, the, the, the NBA is looking into fixing the pump fake and throw yourself into a defender, yeah. even if they're lateral, even Sideways if they're vertical. Whatever, yeah. yeah, right. Even if the defender is vertical, you, those, those uh, shooters are getting that call. But do you think, do you think this is, the first of many steps or do you think this is kind of like a c we're doing something over here it's in between but i think it's a little closer to the latter than than most people Mm. probably do i mean you go back you remember damian lillard's 55 point game in the first round right Mm -hmm. incredible i think nine three pointers you know what you don't remember is that he had two or three of those pump fake sidestep jump to the left kick the leg out gets Barely gets any contact, but he gets, you know, he gets three free throws out of it, including that went to double overtime and he had all those points in the fourth overtime and second overtime, but just getting to that point required one of those silly plays, Mm -hmm. but guess what? People love it. They don't love that foul, but they love the 55 point game. They love Steph Curry had 10 threes tonight. You know, they love Trey young had seven threes, eight threes. And I think that that's why I have less faith in the NBA actually changing this is People don't really care for Vucevic going off for, for 35, 40 points, but they really love Trey Young going off for 50. And um, there's just so many of those guys right now. So changing, I think it went too far with some of the like jumping sideways and some of the silly stuff that was going on. The league is responding to it. I just don't have a lot of confidence that it's going to take away the incredible advantage that perimeter play has in the NBA right now, because that's what sells. Yeah, I was even thinking about it. The charge call is something that I think affects bigger players 
and young players don't really mess with all that much. If they're shooting three-pointers, they're shooting floaters, they aren't trying to get all the way to the basket in the way that mm-hmm. LeBron or yeah, I would say wing or, players. Yeah, it's more wing players. Yeah, the charge right. ball. And 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 it's just you know at some point, at some point, like I don't I don't know if if uh, the NBA is is uh, going out of their way to help smaller players. Like I don't think it's a conscious decision. Like we have to help Trey Young. We have right. to you have to we have to even the playing field against these smaller players because. Uh, bigger players are inherently advantaged because they're they're bigger, especially if they can if they're nearly as skilled as as a smaller player. I don't think it's something that they're going out of the way out of their way to fix per se uh, that that imbalance because of size. But even if it isn't on purpose, that's where we've landed. That's where we've arrived. Where right. where you watch what it takes for, and this is a Lakers podcast, and I'm going to sound like a homer, but you watch what it sounds like or what it looks like when LeBron uh, gets fouled or what it takes for him to get fouled compared to what it takes for uh, Trey Young to get fouled. And it's <laughs> that I've never seen as wide a gap since maybe Shaq played where yeah. Shaq was down there and, and Biggs could just wail on him. And yeah. it was kind of dependent on whether or not he made the layup to get a call. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it's something that at some point, they're going to have to fix. <laughs> I don't even know if they can, but they, they, I don't, they I don't honestly don't it. know if they, they want to fix. It. I mean, rules and regulations have life cycles, not just in sports, but I think through everything where the, the byproduct of the last 20 years of the no hand checking rule, freedom of movement, it's been kind of increasingly, you know, moving that direction. Some of the rules have gotten even more strict about how much you can or cannot contact, but it's been moving this direction what it has done, the byproduct of it has been a league that is significantly, in my opinion, more skilled than what it was 20 years ago. Like you talk about guys shooting from the distances that they do and the handle that they have and the versatility, positional versatility. These are all really exciting byproducts. But just as there are those byproducts, there's also the, hey, how can we take advantage of these rules to use them in our, you know, in our favor? And of course, you have the James Harden, the Luke Gadanchis, the Trey Young. You have the guys that are like, even Chris Paul, you know, Chris Paul, it's such a, a funny thing. You watch him when they get into the bonus, that rip through move. He, it's almost like he's not trying anything else on the court other than a rip through move. So he can go shoot the bonus free throws and right. he'll, he'll get the whistle and he'll walk. won't even look at anything. He'll just start walking to the free throw line. Cause he knows he accomplished his goal. And so I think that's where we are in the life cycle is of these regulations are that now guys have fully figured out how to exploit them for ways they were not intended. And mm-hmm. how do you go back now? How do you how do you change it in a way that you keep the positive byproduct but get rid of the, the bad ones? I don't know. There might not be a way to do it. It kind of reminds me of the tanking conversation, the process, right? Where yeah. obviously tanking, bottoming out, and doing everything you possibly <laughs> right. could to, to get a high draft pick was always on the you- table. I love that you brought this up because people are like the pro people are saying the process worked or didn't work. It's like, guys, yes. Losing as many years in a row as you can to get top. It works. Nobody argues that it didn't work. It's argued should it work. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, nobody, it's like, of course it worked. You got all these picks. Right. Like for, for uh, the, you know, for a long time in the NBA players wouldn't hunt these advantages or, or seek out these advantages in the rule book because there was like a respect for the game yeah. and the entertainment and all of that. Just like, just like organizations wouldn't go out and lose for five, as much as possible for five years in a row, 
because there was a respect for the entertainment value. There was a respect for the fan base and the sport itself. Those are things that you like, it was just like unwritten. It was an agreed upon thing. This is not something that we're going to do. And, and it wasn't like tanking was some revolutionary idea. It was that there was no longer that respect. It was just, it was just like, uh -huh. yeah, this is what we're doing now because this is what helps us win. And, and I think in both cases, uh, we saw that the league kind of sort of stepped in, in, in uh, pushing a Colangelo upon Sam Hinkie in Philadelphia. And I hope at some point we get some kind of course correction, even further course correction. Cause like what OKC is doing is even more brazen than when Philly, they just don't have a cool right. slogan associated with it. Yep. And then, That's and the then, don't you know, come up with the slogan. <laughs> no, don't come up with it. Okay. See, the last thing they want to do is bring attention to, to like with some kind of a slogan that, that becomes part of the lexicon in the same way that, that the process became because that brought attention to it. People right. were starting to talk about tanking and losing on purpose. OKC sat Al Horford for the second half of the season. And nobody's like, wait, that's kind of weird. That's right. odd. Yeah. And yet somehow Anthony Davis was like forced to play in New Orleans. It's just the whole thing's out of whack. Forced um, to play in New Orleans. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> I can't believe, can't believe it. Wow. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I like, like, I don't, I mean, like he was actually, they, he was told like, you have to get out there. Like he was, that was, that was the thing. That, right. Right. Um, all right. Last thing before uh, we get to the, the game that we play at the end of every show. Uh, this literally just happened. So Torre at Torre uh, tweets out, is this not a nightmare for the NBA? None of the big crossover stars are left in the playoffs. Guys who casual basketball fans know and want to watch. No LeBron, Steph, Durant, Luca. Only one of the top 15 best-selling jerseys still playing. This is not good for the league. Kevin Durant quote tweets that with imagine Torre knowing what's best for professional basketball. So in my opinion, I think if you're only looking at looking at it from the perspective of ratings and all of that, obviously they're going to be down in this upcoming playoffs. That's, that's, that's going to, that's, that's how this is going to play out. But I think it'd be much worse for the league if it was clearly going out of their way to keep the Lakers or the Knicks or certain players active in the playoffs and just taking away all, uh, <laughs> all even, perception of fair play or actual competition and, and and that that's like that's the thing that i've been most frustrated by and by the way the the games have been great clipper suns game one was fantastic oh, yeah. there's, been, uh, there's been a lot of really good games yeah they've been really good and and it's like if if tnt if espn don't know how to market this thing cool go out and get a better get better, right. better uh, broadcasting partner like go out and 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 let amazon do their thing with it but this idea that the league is functioning at a lower uh, rate or, or ability because certain teams or certain players aren't in the playoffs. Like that's just competition. That's how this should go. It sucks that it's because of that. It's because of injuries that we find ourselves in the situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think the NBA could benefit from a little bit more uh, surprise factor in the postseason than we've seen over the, the over the course of the NBA's entire existence. Yeah, I mean this the whole thing is just about how the league markets itself and and it's partly the league themselves. Like I think the league actually does a bad job of this 
yeah. on their own individual level. But part of this is that the league has for the last 30 years outsourced their marketing to their television partners, but also to Nike and yeah. Gatorade and to their sponsorship partners who have done a great, who have done all of the heavy lifting for them. The problem is again, another byproduct of, of this has been that the way those companies and the way that those media partners market is individuals. They market stars, they market storylines that may mm -hmm. or may not exist between rivalries with LeBron and Kevin Durant, let's get this and LeBron and Curry. And when it works out and those guys face up, great. All right, you, you spent all of this energy telling everybody this is the only thing that matters. So when they match up, everybody cares. But when it doesn't match up, well, now you have no way to pivot. And this is again, the NBA's fault for how they've marketed themselves, but also because of how they've decided to let the league be marketed by their partners. And um, I, you know, it, it's a thing that I wonder if Adam Silver has the stomach to, to really look at, because we are looking at a 20 year trend of downward rating. That's why it's always funny when people talk about ratings, a Lakers Knicks finals in 2022 would still be lower than a Lakers Knicks finals in 1998. If you know, mm -hmm. it had, if it were to happen. So yes, it is, Better than if it was an Oklahoma City versus Orlando finals? Yes, but the overall trend is downward, even if there's these little mini spikes up along the way. And to me, that tells you that you are losing a lot of your core audience and, and you're saving just the like most extreme people that are looking, that are buying hook, line, and seeker into all of the things that your marketing partners have told you to, but you've lost everyone else. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's also like part of the problem with outsourcing your marketing to a Nike, to an ESPN is those companies are going to do right by them. <laughs> of course. They're, they're going to, they're going to market uh, whatever it is that, that helps their bottom line. They don't like if, if <laughs> at the end of the day, if, if they're going to watch after their bottom line versus the NBA's, they're going to watch after themselves. And, and that's where the, you find yourself in this current situation where we, these companies have no idea how to talk about, the Milwaukee Bucks potentially going up against the Phoenix Suns. They have you no know, idea the how to talk example, about that. The best example of this is the Kobe LeBron puppets, of course, of 2008. You remember, they had mm -hmm. a whole campaign around our two biggest names are going to meet up against each other. They never did. <laughs> Just by a random chance, they never actually met up. So you had this whole marketing strategy in place telling everybody, this is the thing, this is the thing, and you just never got it. But what you did get was actually some very compelling other matchups that yeah. unfortunately you weren't prepared for. And that's the problem that I think the NBA is running into. And it's funny, a, a side problem that is arising from this, and it's been very big in Denver, is that... Comcast has gotten into a dispute with Altitude, which is Altitude is the Cronky owned regional sports network in Denver. They're the only one in the NBA that is a one-off, meaning they're not part of like Fox Sports or NBC or whatever. Like they're just their own little entity. And Comcast has flexed their muscle on them saying, to, for us to carry you on our cable package, we're going to charge you a ridiculous rate that would put you out of business. Well, this isn't just happening in Denver. It's actually starting to happen in a lot of different markets where these different conglomerates of regional sports packages are being squeezed out. And this is the NBA. As much as this was a Denver problem for the last two years, it is now becoming an NBA problem where they have these media partnerships and they have allowed this you know, let the market decide for how this gets distributed. Well, the world's changed in the last 10 years. And I think the NBA has to change their distribution patterns as well. And that might come at a little bit of a dip in revenue early on 
for you to be able to plant a flagpole that says now we own distribution and we own the way the conversation gets to go and we can help steer it in a better direction. But it's happening in Denver. It's happening in Cleveland. And it's going to be happening in a lot more markets going forward where the NBA is going to find out they actually don't have control over whether or not their their message or their product is getting to the masses. Yeah. Yeah. It's been tough to watch. It really kind of sucks because these have been super compelling playoffs and people are like, who the hell is like, who's the second best player on, on Milwaukee? Who's that guy over there? And it's just like, that's something we should know heading into it. Like we don't have that conversation about football, right? Like it doesn't matter which playoff teams match up. If it's a, if it's an NFL playoff game, people sit in front of their TV. Nobody complains about, Oh man, it isn't the Dallas Cowboys against the New York giants. Like right. that's not something that takes place. It's, it's, and, and, and there's still, by the way, stars in football where, right. hell yeah, we get to watch Aaron Rodgers go up against name other quarterback yeah. or whatever. Right. And, and that's just the, you know, I, I just, I, the NFL has a lot wrong with it. Uh, but the way that they figured out how to market themselves, I, I think the NBA needs to, needs to take note and follow there's suit. One, there's one other piece to all of this. That's going to become increasingly interesting going forward and that is that three of your biggest stars in small markets right now are all foreign and you don't get this in the nfl but Giannis, uh Jokic, and luca are all foreign and they all are now probably three of your 10 best players in the nba and i think that number will increase over time not decrease because of how global the nba has gotten and again when we talk about who do your partner not who does the nba want because i think the nba would love for it to become more international but who does gatorade want who does nike want well, Nike wants to sell to Americans first and foremost, and to sell mm-hmm. to Americans, you can sell an American. So I think that there are layers to all of this that, uh, again, make the NBA, and it's just, it's structural. It's 30 years, 30 years conscious decision to do things a certain way that now has evolved into something that is strangling itself. Yeah, I wonder if the NBA starts paying closer attention to soccer in that respect, in that, mm-hmm. like the way that it's marketed in Europe, where you have players playing for premier league teams that come from all over the world because soccer is the global sport. Right. right. And, and, and the way that those players are marketed in Europe and see if there's any way to bring some of that, uh, some of those techniques to, to the States to market guys like Luca, guys like Giannis, um, mm-hmm. et cetera. All right. Uh, so to wrap every show, we play a game. Uh, I, I, most people listening to this show at this point, know my or one of my most embarrassing sports moments uh and so what was your most embarrassing sports moment well it's it's kind of a two-way tie so i have obviously the euro stumble right that uh, harrison (laughs) throws throws on on twitter every chance he gets um and then there was also a time when i was coaching in a rival game where there was like a thousand people in the stands that um my suit pants blew wide open so uh so that was that was where i was at on that's um, fantastic yeah you know it's not 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 the not the best moment in my life it happened at a high school so um you know there might be some legal problems associated with it uh (laughs) (laughs) but but i was able to escape without too many people noticing i think but do you have now that i've given you some time i filibustered a little bit to give you some time and think on your most embarrassing sports moment do you have one that you can point to the one I would think of, so I, my, she was my girlfriend at the time. It was my wife. It was going in, I think, to my senior year of, 
of high school, right around when we first started actually dating, she was really good friends with a guy who was Mr. Basketball in Colorado. He was, ended up playing at St. Mary's and really played professionally for, for many years. Really, really good player. I, he actually ended up becoming a close friend of mine after this, this moment. But it was the first time we were playing against each other. My wife came to watch. She was my girlfriend at the time, came to watch us. He's about six seven, six eight, really athletic guy. And very first play of the game, he gets the ball, comes down. I, I am mixed match. I thought I was guarding somebody else. And I was like, oh, I'm on him this time. So I rotate over too late. And he just posterizes me. The first oh, 10 no. seconds of the game, just a complete dunk on. And this was like my wife's good friend and her boyfriend going at each other. And I get dunked on on the first play. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me, man. This is horrible. And I even remember like looking over at her and her being like, oh, my God. <laughs> and it's just like, well, all right. Um, did she so, duck her? Like, was there ever like a hand duck moment? Like, did she ever put her face <laughs> in her hands? And it was like, I, I, you know, like, how, what was the conversation after the game? I'm curious about that. Like, well, after the funny. game happens, did, did, did your now wife bring that up? You know, I don't, I don't, you know, what's funny is so after, after that game, like me and him actually became really good friends and we ended up training together and working out. I mean, we worked out every day for like two whole summers, mm-hmm. um, just, just kind of going one on one at each other. So, um there was obviously wasn't any animosity or anything like that but i remember it being i think we just talked about it like yo i I was i got mixed up at the start of the game just caught in a bad moment but it happens you know i've been dunked on maybe 15 times i played enough basketball and at high enough levels i've been i've been dunked on a handful you're a big guy so you were you were the room protector and and people were attacking the rim yeah and i just have played against enough you know professionals to it's gonna happen, man. You're gonna you're gonna find yourself in those moments. Yeah, I've been I've been dunked on maybe two or three times, which is kind of rare for a guard. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I walked into um, Cal State Fullerton and they played. Uh, some of the guys from the actual team there played with us every so often, and they actually had a guy on their team. I think is Gerard Williams, and he actually uh, competed in the college basketball. Uh, dunk contest on ESPN that year. So he was like this insane athlete. And uh, I didn't pay very much close attention to that team. It was a bad team. And I was just not really interested in Cal State Fullerton basketball at the time. And so, so I uh, was sitting there and he drove to his right into the middle and he went to elevate and he just did it really casually. So I figured, Oh, okay. I can just like feign like I'm trying to, to, to block his shot here. Well, he just keeps going up and up and up. And this is like the first time I've ever played on this court. And the, like the second play, first play of me in isolation on defense, the ball goes through the rim, hits me in the top of the head. (laughs) (laughs) And and I was just like, all right, well, welcome to this gym. I played it. I played it like some basically all white high school where there was like three people in the entire league who dunk dunk on in, uh, in the league that our team, our, our high school played at. So that was like a, that was a new thing that I, I quickly got accustomed to and ready to, <laughs> I learned how to, to, to make business decisions on that day. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> business decisions. Yep. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the Anthony Irwin podcast. Thank you guys very much for hopping on uh, and listening today. Again, if you are desperate for Jason kid coaching updates, Lakers lowdown is your place to be. Um, and then we have a slightly, <laughs> slightly different schedule this week. If you're, across- de- if you're that desperate for Lakers update, you might just need to take some time to reflect on, on things. Just <laughs> uh, take we a have- few new hobbies. 
<laughs> we have some we have some shifting around here on the uh, Silver Screen and Roll podcast feed uh, that I'll keep you guys updated on as much as I possibly can as things are kind of moving around in the uh, SBN universe. Uh, but until then, have a great rest of your week, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Adam. <laughs>